My guest today is Sam Cooper, an investigative journalist whose publication, The Bureau, has become an invaluable source of information relating to foreign interference in not just Canadian, but also American political structures. We discuss the ways in which our political systems have been influenced by foreign actors, who these actors are, and their motives. This is one you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Sam, thanks for talking to me today, man. I uh, I reached out a while ago and and we finally managed to to meet. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so I've been I've been following your reporting at the bureau for for a long time. Um, you know, the stuff that you write is is really what keeps me up at night. Um, you know, it, it looks like we're, I mean, as a country, in a lot of trouble and. Um, I, so I, I've been thinking about how we're going to tackle this subject. And, and I think the best way to do it is to start high level and then kind of drill into the details from there so that people can get kind of a summarized view of, of what we're dealing with. So in your view, what is the extent of the alleged foreign interference in our political apparatus and where is it coming from? Yeah, I mean, before I jump into that, I'll say you're not the only one that's kept up at night with these threats. As a matter of fact, you know, I started my journey into understanding um, Chinese foreign interference, which, as we know, and I've reported, has gone beyond China, now includes India, Russia, Iran, all of these countries using organized crime to various levels. I discovered and just was shocked to find after I uncovered a the BC casino money laundering scandal in 2017. Soon after, sources started to come to me and say, you've got to look at this uh, former People's Liberation Army, or maybe current, we don't know, person in uh, the Vancouver area with a compound with what I was told was the most, uh, the private, the highest private collection of guns in Western Canada that could be across Canada. This person was directly involved in the BC casino money laundering investigations, a high roller with something like 80 high-end cars in their basement, and, uh, you know, uh, just all kinds of connections to both the Chinese state and Chinese organized crime. And the people that were coming to me were saying, this person scares them. This person is known uh, to police in Ottawa, Vancouver, across the country. They're trying to understand what their role is. And I came to discover slowly but surely that, uh, yes, they are believed to be a high-level Chinese intelligence handler, handler of organized crime rings in Canada and internationally that would be involved in activities such as... Uh, uh, persuading or threatening uh, Chinese uh, immigrants in Canada that they had better return to China or else. So this is the Chinese fox hunt, Chinese police station activity. This person, I'll just focus on the one person and get to your, get to your, uh, your, your question more broadly, would also be involved, I'm told, in fundraising activities related to election interference or China's uh, political interference activities in Canada. This person, another uh, a great local Vancouver reporter named Bob Mackin, picked up 
the fact that around 2016, when the what we what a lot of people that follow Chinese interference know is the cash for access scandal, where uh, Justin Trudeau was constantly meeting all these uh, mainland China immigrants and getting big political do donations. Around that time, this person who remember I'm saying is linked at high levels to Chinese military intelligence and organized crime sits beside Justin Trudeau, is there at a, at a fundraiser eating steak, you know, sitting right beside the prime minister as he's drinking a beer, the prime minister. This person and his buddies in Vancouver sent a bunch of money uh, into the Papineau riding of our prime minister in 2016, right? So I could go on and on, but um, the when I started to dig into that, what I'm calling the core of China's interference, which is the use of organized crime, as it's called, the United Front Work Department has interoperability with Chinese organized crime in their uh, efforts to corrupt and influence Canadian politicians. As I started to discover this, there's people in other areas of uh, government that, that come to me, some saying, as you say, uh, a person told me they were losing sleep because they're reporting this kind of activity up the chain in Ottawa and how this touches upon very near to uh, Justin Trudeau's administration, these vulnerabilities, let's call them, uh, and nothing's happening. So a lot of people are losing sleep, not including podcasters and, and just journalists like myself. There's people that get to carry guns around in Canada because they're law enforcement that are losing sleep. There's intelligence agents that are losing sleep because of what we'll just call uh, a new term is hybrid warfare activity. And this is, or unrestricted warfare or united front political warfare. And broadly speaking, that's the core of the uh, election interference story. It's the core of the Chinese interference story, how they have so many channels of interference and influence, how they surround our politicians at all levels of government, First Nations bands, anyone in Canada, business leaders that could be of use to China is being surrounded and approached. And so uh, as I was, uh, as I learned uh, uh, a very high level RCMP source, uh, we collected this quote from him in my former uh, position with Global News. We were told there are so many politicians in Canada that are implicated, the honest ones had better wake up to what's going on with these United Front uh, interference operations. And of course, the implication of that statement is the RCMP knows very well that there are dishonest politicians in Canada. So um, we haven't gotten into, you know, uh, broad interference in Canada's universities, intellectual property theft, you know, how Nortel was taken down by people that are took all of its IP and fed Huawei and built it up, how Huawei is used in intelligence operations, influence operations around the world. But it's broad and deep and Canada is in big trouble, suffice to say. Wow. Wow. Okay. So just a little bit of my background. I grew up in Richmond, BC in the 1990s. I was there when it all began, when that seed was first planted. My neighborhood in the summer of 1996 looked like Beirut. It had been torn down to the ground and mansions had been built up, built where, you know, single family homes once existed. So this is something that's very close to my heart and my history. I'll jump in and say that, uh, I can say with great confidence, because I have it directly from the RCMP and my own research, 
a good majority of those those mansions, especially including on farmland in Richmond, would be directly related to uh, Chinese drug trafficking activity and underground banking activity. A good percentage, if oh. not majority. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would ride my bike through my neighborhood at night, and the all the windows in those houses would be blacked out. Like it was clear what was going on here, yeah. and. People in Richmond and I think Vancouver in general had been screaming about something happening for years. And, you know, of course, the moment that it was brought up, it was accusations of racism and xenophobia and all sorts of things would would be kind of the the wall that that they'd be met with. Now, um, can you tell us what the United Front is and, and, and who they represent? Yeah, so the, the United Front Work Department is the proper Chinese Communist Party agency in Beijing that has been active ever since the CCP took control uh, of China. And it's a, it's a body that uh, grew massively under Xi Jinping, who is the most aggressive uh, general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party since Mao. The United Front is called a magic weapon of influence, where remember, uh, China is a nation of 1.4 billion, uh, proportionately, not many of them are Chinese Communist Party members, but the Chinese Communist Party controls its mass of population. So uh, it uses the United Front to extend its Chinese Communist Party member influence over all external bodies. Uh, we're talking all corporations, all uh, all entities that that may not nominally be Chinese Communist Party, but they're controlled this way through the United Front. And uh, so we see within the United Front, we see people that are um, in all, uh, you know, sort of paths and walks of life, whether they're a business leader, a gangster, a drug trafficker, uh, whether they're Jack Ma, whether they're, uh, you know, a, a Macau or Hong Kong casino owner, they will be invited to something called the Chinese Political Consultative Conference, which is what the CIA calls uh, the basic structure of the United Front. And again, I'm presenting this idea where uh, the Chinese Communist Party invites anyone outside, nominally outside of its membership, into bodies that are part of the United Front. And what we see now in the United States, Canada, most especially Australia, New Zealand, but also, of course, France, all around the world, Anywhere that's not China, they are extending their United Front political networks into other democracies. And so again, this brings back the core of what the election interference story is. Uh, China, basically uh, their consulates, their intelligence officials took over what were originally, you know, good grassroots Chinese Canadian groups, which are, you know, immigrants getting together from their hometowns in China and helping each other in Canada. But China's consulate and intelligence officials have taken all these, there's now hundreds of these groups over. There's not one really that is, you know, a, a grassroots organization anymore. They're all United Front astroturfed groups and they task people to go out and surround our politicians, you know, offer their assistance in campaigns, offer donations. And this is how our politicians start to be influenced by the United Front. Wow. And so how are those connections made? Um, you know, I, I know that this is we're kind of moving into speculation here, but but 
how does the United Front make contact with Canadian politicians? I mean, it seems like there's quite a bit of distance between the two. Well, uh, there's just so many community events, you know, as a basic sort of example, you know, uh, the Chinese New Year celebrations in, you know, early mid-January, uh, many politicians will get invited to these sort of events. And, you know, whether it's in a gala hall or uh, at a Chinese restaurant or in Chinatown in Vancouver, Toronto, etc., cetera, uh, they'll have these events where it would purportedly be community leaders and community groups that have no political affiliation, or maybe, you know, the consul general is there from each of those cities. But in these events, they have uh, intelligence officials, official members of the United Front Work Department, people that may be uh, not official members, but are, you know, closely associated business leaders. And these people will be, some of them, very much tasked, you know, depending on how important they are. It could be straight from Beijing. It could be from an intelligence officer in Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal, Ottawa, Calgary. They're told, we want you to approach this politician, you know, start to get friendly with them. And I'll give you an example. I cited this in my book, Willful Blindness, uh, from a, you know, a, a, a Chinese community leader, someone that's very pro Hong Kong democracy, informed me that they attended one of these events, let's say around 2014. Uh, the uh, consul general at the time, a woman in Vancouver approached them and said, you know, what are your political aspirations? The person said, oh, I'd like to run for, you know, provincial or federal. And the consul general, I was told, said, that is great. Let How can we help you in your ambition? And so they got a little, this politician got a little squeamish and, you know, said, oh, you know, okay, goodbye. Talk to you later. And soon after, they are approached by another co-opted uh, British Columbia politician who is so very clearly meeting all the time with organized crime and the consulate officials, etc. And this co-opted municipal politician from the Vancouver area told my source, we will, uh, how can we help you? We'll give you, you know, we, we can support your campaign if you, you know, get on side with our issues. What are our issues? Uh, you know, your position on Uyghurs, your position on Tiananmen Square, your position on Taiwan. So that shows you in a nutshell how exactly people are approached at these United Front events, whether it's from a consulate official or their proxies, who are these community leaders that are under the thumb of Beijing. Okay. And so is the relationship... Is the relationship... I mean, does it have more to do with money? Is, is, there, is there an ideological element to it too? I mean, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, it's all about, we know politics is all about money. Even when there's not an election on, it's always about fundraising. You know, politicians, their job is to get reelected. They mm. need money. As a very, uh, you know, a very famous Australian senator that lost his job for for telling a, a Chinese whale gab gambler who was working for the Ministry of State Security that he was being uh, investigated by Australian intelligence, as this former Australian Senator uh, Sam Dastieri said, uh, politics is an arm ra arms race of fundraising. And these uh, community leaders 
whether they be uh, real estate developers with gang activities on the side, or whether they be, you know, someone working for Huawei or another Chinese state-owned company in Australia, Canada, wherever, these uh, people are there for the United Front for Chinese intelligence services to offer fundraising, and it can be as a as what's called a, a white gloves for the Chinese consulate, uh, or you know, it can be they know that their position in the United Front as a patriotic worker for the motherland is just to go out there and, you know, try to get close to politicians and, and fundraise for them, even if they don't have direct tasking. So it happens in all ways. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So is a lot of the money, is a lot of the money that's being funneled into our politicians and political groups, is is a lot of it coming from organized crime and, and the sale of fentanyl, for example? Uh, the link to fentanyl, I don't directly have that. And I'm going to be careful here because these are stories and sets of facts and source, uh, information that I'm, I'm currently working on, but I have, uh, reported enough already, I believe, and I'm going to be careful here, uh, for legal reasons that indicates that people that would be directly investigated for the Chinese police stations by the RCMP in Canada would be involved in financial transfers as proxies uh, for uh, donations to our Canadian politicians. Again, Justin Trudeau would fit into that model of a person directly receiving donations to his riding from people that I'm saying uh, have been investigated in the fentanyl trade, have been investigated at the highest levels in casino money laundering, have been investigated for allegedly threatening uh, Chinese people uh, to the point where they have to run back to the mainland uh, because they fear for their family members, right? So I don't have the evidence that... Um, I do have the evidence, <laughs> for an example, <laughs> that a very famous gangster at BC that uh, was the focus of the Cullen Commission and casino money laundering, and that I tied to fentanyl networks, uh, gave Beijing money for their PPE collection in Canada. I don't have the evidence that the sale of a fentanyl uh, product uh, and that cash went directly to a politician. I can tell you with confidence that sources in Canadian government uh, areas have evidence that uh, people directly involved in underground organized crime activity are using that organized crime activity to fund election interference and are using that activity to corrupt Canadian politicians. Wow. Okay. And... When we're talking about election interference, what are the tactics and methods that are being used? There's so many, um, you know, a really, really fun and uh, fulfilling and great thing I did in my early months of starting up the Bureau, my new platform, is I was invited to go to Taiwan to, uh, to cover, you know, uh, the threats they're facing from Beijing, who, who wants to take over that, what I found to be just uh, wonderfully run uh, and uh, thriving democracy. And so uh, on my trip uh, to Taiwan, uh, I had access at a high level to their officials. And uh, 
whether they uh, invited me on this international journalist trip because of my knowledge of what's going on in Canada, I'm not exactly sure. I know that they appreciate the accuracy and power of my reporting, and their officials were prepared to share new evidence with me, including one example where they said that uh, their current, uh, it's just weeks away from their presidential election, I was informed months ago that they had found that Beijing was using an organized crime gambling ring in attempts to uh, uh, skew the odds of, um, the, they have underground bets on, you know, what's going to happen in the president, presidential election. And so this was, a I was told, a sophisticated scheme where Beijing agents used organized crime in Taiwan to try to interfere in that election. And it's uh, it's so sophisticated that I'm not sure they told me that Beijing is funding it, they're using gangsters, it involves underground gambling. And even though I don't have a full picture of what's going on in that case, I was told by their high officials, Beijing interferes in many ways in elections. They've been doing it against us using the United Front for 50 years. And I think their tactics are involved, evolving. And I think I was told they're using organized crime and gambling through this method in Canada too, probably. So I took that all away and I thought, hmm, really interesting because from my, uh, my protected sources in Canada and also community sources in Vancouver and Toronto are also pointing to the use of gambling, organized crime, strange, sophisticated fundraising that goes into election interference. So, um, you know, I'm working more on, let's just call them sort of very specific transaction paths and amounts and methods of how our politicians that are either wittingly or unwittingly co-opted are funded. But there's just very many ways. And I, I'll end the answer this way. It could, it could start with, uh, let's say, cash in oh, maybe an underground casino. Uh, it could start with a legitimate business that is actually, you know, owned by a person who's also involved in shady underground activity. It could even go up all the way up to an international financial company that is used uh, to fund in criminal ways, uh, let's say a leadership campaign of a Canadian politician through the hands of a co-opted politician I'm giving you a picture that it can go from the dirtiest of organized crime at the street level all the way up to international businesses that are tasked by Beijing to uh, corrupt our politicians with election funds. Okay, and and you've you've mentioned the name Justin Trudeau a few times, and for our listeners, I just want to be clear here: Sam is not a partisan journalist. You're not you're on not on either team, and so when you're when you're um, implying as to you're you're implying where this money is going or who's receiving it or it's there's there's it's not politically driven whatsoever now that le sorry please go ahead sam let me yeah i i will say that you know justin trudeau in a way has had the disfortune to be the prime minister when as CSIS has reported it's no secret xi jinping ramped up the 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 united front attack on canada's democracy specifically around 2015, he scaled up massively these United Front operators 
And, you know, it's funny, I can even recognize as a Vancouver reporter, I could see, I could see, you know, this election interference, strange things starting to pop up at the municipal level in 2018. Nothing to do directly with the Liberal Party, I could just see it. And so Trudeau has been in power while China has massively increased something that's been going on at a high level for since 2012, when Xi became general secretary, but it's been going on for decades. And you're right, I'll say that I do believe the evidence shows Trudeau is most uh, vulnerable. His party is most vulnerable, probably by far, to Chinese interference and infiltration. But uh, I've reported that all major Canadian parties are targeted and the Conservatives, the NDP, uh, they are very, they're very vulnerable to China as well. And I've reported that. Yeah. And, you know, in the intelligence reports that you do, that you have access to the reporting, like I told you before, I, I read the Bureau religiously. It's to me, it, I think the work you're doing is the most important work in the last 40 years of our country. I, I think that we don't understand the level of threat that we're dealing with. And I think this is something that slides under the radar because I don't think people understand the, the implications of it, like what it means for us as a nation. And well, th thanks for that. I don't <laughs> want to cut you off, but I mean, like, I often I, I get asked a lot, why are you focusing so much on this topic? And I tell people I focus on all areas of financial crime and corruption. But like you, and thank you so much for that comment. I believe there's so much here. And this is by far the greatest threat to our nation. And, you know, uh, I've made myself an internationally recognized expert on it. So why would I move away <laughs> from the story when it's getting bigger? Right. Yeah. And more dangerous. And, you know, I mean, um, I, I remember like a year ago, there being a big upheaval in the U.S. over Chinese police stations uh, that had been discovered there. And I was the, I thought about you immediately. I was like, oh, that's nothing new for us. Like this is we're we're now somehow dealing with this. Now, can you go into the Chinese police station uh, aspect of the story and why do they exist in Canada? Why are they here? Yeah, let me start with the evidence in the United States. And uh, juries have now convicted, uh, you know, individuals uh, in New York City that are uh, business persons, uh, you know, members of society that are used as proxies by uh, China's Ministry of State Security to target people across the United States who may be, you know, rich uh officials who have fled from China for whatever reason. They may be dissidents that uh, want to see democracy uh, in their communities. They may be uh, artists that draw, uh, that, that create a sculpture of Xi Jinping with his face, you know, represented as a COVID uh, germ. And China would be so infuriated by that type of criticism, I'm using a specific example, that they will task uh, uh, people at, at all levels of Chinese diaspora in cities across the United States, they will pay them to go after these people, but to use them as insulation and to get these Chinese community leaders or business persons or whoever they are to hire, you know, former private eyes or police officers uh, to be agents in this scheme. And so you see what I'm saying is, in China, there are elite, dangerous intelligence officials who know that uh, if they travel to the United States and they rough up, you know, an artist or they try to 
We've even had evidence that uh, one of these officials told people they should uh, maybe hurt this uh, this person in New York who wanted to run for office and was pro-democracy, maybe they should cause him to have a car crash, this kind of thing. They don't want to have their actual card-carrying uh, People's Liberation Army or Ministry of State Security agents hands-on the violence and the threats. They want to have two or three layers of insulation. So that's where these people, community leaders, gangsters, anyone you know in the diaspora is tasked to then run these networks. That's what a Chinese police station or network, which they're both the same thing, is. And so why are they in Canada? Um, the same reason they're in the United States, the same reason they're in France, uh, all around the world, is because China, the Chinese Communist Party, needs to control that 1.4 billion people that could, any day if they want to, uprise and get rid of the party, and they, they can't have that. So much of the United Front is directed at keeping the masses away from regime change. And China sees its over, what it calls overseas Chinese diaspora communities as connected to the mainland. So they can't have dissident activity. They can't have criticism in Canada. They try to suppress that through these uh, criminal police stations that they've set up in our cities, as I'm saying, run by uh gangsters or you know chinese intelligence officials undercover on our soil and i guess um the point i want to add is it's just completely unacceptable that uh our diaspora communities are being so many that 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 came to our uh to democracies to enjoy freedom are now being attacked in this way and our society uh, is being torn apart in that you know uh, the police stations are used to uh, to co-opt various people who then come on side with the police station or gangster officials and try to infiltrate our political systems. And meanwhile, you have people in the diaspora that are desperately, you know, standing up for Canada's values. And to date, uh, it's only within the past year that the RCMP has been tasked I believe for political reasons, they can now investigate and try to disrupt this activity, which was ignored as I've reported, uh, as it ramped up in 2015 and the Trudeau administration was warned, they completely ignored every warning and have done nothing to this day to change laws so that uh, we could have the, F the RCMP empowered as the FBI is in the States with a foreign, foreign Agent Registry Act, because I'll end my answer here to circle all the way back these police stations are empowered through the use of proxies who are foreign agents. And mm -hmm. the United States can prosecute that. Every fox hunt prosecution, every police station prosecution involves their Foreign Agent Registration Act, these insulating agents. And we don't have a foreign agent registry, correct? We don't. As a, <laughs> it, It's laughable that we don't, as you know, uh, a great journalist from... Uh, ProPublica interviewed me about this point and said, what's the problem with Canada having something so basic as a Foreign Agent Registration Act that anyone in a responsible modern democracy knows is just, you have to have it to prevent foreign authoritarian states reaching into your communities and getting next to your politicians. We don't have one, I believe, you know, due to, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, again, let's not just focus on the Liberal Party, but if I'm talking about the current government, 
I would believe they're under influence. They have been under influence. Uh, look, Senator Yuan Wu, who I've reported on, and another senator, a conservative senator, are petitioning against such an act. So you have to ask the reasons. I believe the reasons uh, are involved foreign interference. I mean, there, there would be no other reason, right? I mean, again, it's speculation, but what else, what other reason could there be? Like, what, what negative what negative effect could come out of a foreign agent registry? I don't even see an argument against one. There's no rational argument against one. I mean, people can say, you know, Canada is not exactly Australia, although we're pretty close. Canada is certainly not the United States, although we should be sharing a lot of big <laughs> values. So yeah, we, we need a different act. It's gotta be tweaked for Canada. I'm sure people will make charter of rights uh, arguments against it, but look, uh, let me put it this way. My sources indicate to me these laws are already written up in, in you know, Public Safety Canada, the Justice Department. Uh, they're ready to go. But the Trudeau's office has been standing against the implementation. I can't put it any more simply than that. Yeah. And, you know, so I was going to ask you this. And, and again, this is speculation. But do you see any correlation between the fact that a lot of this ramped up in 2015 and it also happened to be the year that Trudeau was elected prime minister of our country for the first time? Um, I'll take that question in two parts. First of all, I mean, the, the reporting that I've seen says that Xi Jinping ramping up the United Front is international. So this, this massive tasking of the United Front in Beijing, they added something like from 40,000 to 50,000 new cadres, massively increased funding to you know, this Chinese Communist Party magic weapon to interfere in all nations around the world. You know, whether they, they're probably interfering in Russia the same way, it's mostly focused on uh, democracies because China believes in the great coming whether you call it competition, hybrid war, fears of a kinetic war, they think that their, their time to overtake the United States and democracies as the world you know, hegemon is coming and is due. And so Z very clearly from 2012, he starts to ramp that up and CSIS believes, as I've reported, 2015 is the magic year. It doesn't just relate to Canada, but do they want Justin? Did they want Justin Trudeau to be prime minister? Yes, I believe there, there's that evidence. Does Canada have just like a deep weakness to uh, the attacks of the United Front? Yes. I, again, the laws, why aren't those laws that might be able to like, you know, put up a little wall against it put in place? So I do believe that us being overrun by the United Front does relate to the weaknesses of Trudeau's administration and China's international uh, use of the United Front. And furthermore, let's look at Canada's side-by-side -side relationship with the United States. China very clearly wants to use Canada as a stepping stone in its goal to overpower the United States. Yeah, and that's a big one because, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if you're, well, I'm sure you're aware, but there are thousands of military-aged Chinese men pouring into the United States month over month right now through the southern U.S. border. And I've spoken to um, a number of people in, involved in, you know, a reti I, I, uh, retired U.S. border agent, spoken to people in U.S. intelligence, and that is a major concern for them, is that you have these, you, you, I mean, 
what are they planning? What, why, why are all of these people suddenly showing up and flowing through the border? Yeah, you know, and I haven't taken a dive into that myself, but I have followed some of the reporting. I've seen, you know, some of the videos and my first thoughts are, it's very obvious that Mexican cartels are involved in, you know, facilitating who's ever arriving at the U.S. southern border. So that's problem one. You know, this isn't, you know, a political issue or a right or left issue. It's a national security issue, very clearly. And my further thoughts are, as I reported on in, in Willful Blindness, the big circle boys, the, you know, the sort of catch-all mainland China transnational organized crime group, uh, very clearly had uh, well-planned schemes to, to infiltrate Canada in the 1980s through sort of visa fraud and corruption. And these very, you know, very powerful gangsters set up so easily in Vancouver and Toronto. Many of them would have been, you know, in the 20 to 35 range when they infiltrated Canada. And these are the very same people that became very key proxy agents in the Chinese Communist Party's interference in Canada, which has been completely successful for the past, let's say, you know, 30 years and has just reached a level where I'm aware that, you know, some very good uh, law enforcement have told me we're 20 to 30 years behind, but now we're on it. So this is not just a doom and gloom story. There's people in Canadian law enforcement and intelligence that are fighting against, you know, what they know to be a deep incursion using trying to use any. They've got the evidence. It's a matter of can they get it? Can they get those charges approved? And back to your point, I mean, when I when I look at the pictures and I see some of the reporting, what's going on in the United States? Again, not politically, no xenophobia, just at a very basic level. You know that those uh, those young men that are arriving are being facilitated. There's no question by human smugglers. So those connections are there, and I'm saying my case study shows you, United States would have to be worried of that. You know the people. That, that come in that way, what are those connections and how will they be leveraged by China? Yeah. And so what's the connection between Chinese organized crime and the CCP? I mean, how do how do they what's the relationship there? Yeah, this is another one where I'm currently working on like a lot more concrete details than even I have reported so far. But the relationship is very clear at a high level especially uh, from the 80s. Well, actually, it's been going on for forever in Chinese politics, as David Mulroney, the former ambassador, told me. He, he told me there's a very close incestuous nature between the Chinese Communist Party's United Front and organized crime and always has been in diaspora communities. But I believe it goes deeper that uh, people at a... And I don't believe it's just a matter of corruption. I've reported that you know, at the top of these international fentanyl trafficking gangs are Chinese officials. And some people might think, oh, that's just, you know, corruption. It's like a Cameron Ortis from the RCMP that was bought off by gangsters and is now giving them protection and, you know, kind of assisting them worldwide. And he's corrupt. No, I don't think they're corrupt Chinese officials. I believe they're just doing their job. As I've told you about this person in Vancouver with the most guns in Western Canada, his job from Beijing is to manage both legitimate and illegitimate arms 
of Chinese transnational business. That's the relationship. And, you know, I could get into maybe more technical detail, but I think my ref reporting in the near to not, you know, not distant future will, will point to more documents showing high, you know, how high those direct connections between the Politburo and organized crime go. Okay. Um, I'll be, I'll be watching, man. I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on my inbox for my bureau, my bureau new newsletter. So uh, I know you got to run Sam. So we'll, we'll, I just want to close with one final question. And I want, I want to ask a question about you because mm -hmm. you're a rare bird, man. You're the one, you're one of the only ones out there doing it. You're, you're one of the, I, I view you as being a part of a very small group of real actual journalists that are left here in the West right now you being who you are and as credible as you are and digging into the things that you're digging into do you have any concerns for your own safety um i've uh, i told jesse brown about this i've uh i told harrison faulkner so i can tell you too i've in various you know ways i've told a few people uh some people will recognize that i was called to testify this summer uh, in parliamentary hearings specifically related to my knowledge of how uh, Canadian politicians are targeted and threatened by Beijing. Because I had reported on this, I obviously knew a lot about this. So I answered the call of duty and I, I went to that testimony. And in my opening statement, I believe I indicated that I myself, due to my reporting of willful blindness, I was briefed by uh, a CSIS official that, uh, they had learned that uh, Chinese intelligence had been tasked in Canada to research me and try to find out who my sources are and, you know, try to look into various things around my life. Okay, so that was warning one. And, you know, life goes on, my reporting goes on. This has to continue. Uh, but at that very hearing, I think I was, you know, inappropriately questioned by some MPs uh, you know, they weren't interested in my deeply, uh, deeply seated and hard earned knowledge on China's attacks on politicians and their interference in our diaspora communities and election interference. They were looking to question my reporting. And so I came out of that uh, with, you know, a few thoughts in my mind, but I had done my duty. I, I testified and gave the evidence I could. And uh, two to three days later, I got a knock on my door by a couple of RCMP officers uh, who, who told me they had an official duty to uh, warn me about a specific uh, concern they had learned of about uh, a Canadian investigative reporter's reporting on the People's Republic of China. That reporter, they indicated, was me. Uh, so um, I won't, I won't, um, I won't explain too much more because I was asked. To, to give the RCMP information about who I thought could be involved. And I certainly have good ideas, perhaps even evidence of this concern. I had a lot of concerns, which I shared with the RCMP. So there should be an investigation ongoing. And I told the RCMP, look, I was told by some very good and diligent Chinese Canadian reporters in Richmond that they had become too fearful to report on let's just call the person uh, a politically connected lawyer who ran for office while being uh, the main real estate lawyer for uh, 
the the anti-hero of the Cullen Commission, uh, Paul King Jin. <laughs> Maybe I should explain a bit more. I told the RCMP there are people that are great reporters that had been threatened not to report on the connections between Chinese organized crime and politics in Canada. So I'm not the first one. And it's just unacceptable that there's Chinese Canadian journalists who are being told what to write and in a fearful way. So I'll leave it at that. I really do, uh, you know, I have uh, I have belief in uh, Canadian law. I wanted to be a lawyer myself. My, my, uh, my reporting is guided by the public interest. And I believe there's a lot of good RCMP officers that have a lot of evidence about, you know, who could be involved in threatening Canadian politicians, the families of politicians, average dissidents and journalists, and it shouldn't be happening in Canada. And I'm not the only one to get that type of warning. Has anybody from the Canadian uh, political sphere reached out to you, offered any form of insider protection or or anybody that you can rely on for, you know, to watch out for you at least? Um, there's people in politics that... Uh, that are aware of my situation and I wouldn't say any sort of protection or or support but let's just call them people that may have faced similar situations themselves and underhand understand how really dire Canada's current position is and you know what do I do uh, I've got I uh, some very you know trusted people current or former law enforcement that I take some advice and guidance from on these matters. And uh, I'm happy to help anyone else that might face some sort of si similar situations and share my experience with them. But uh, it's not like I've got uh, a phalanx of guards around me or anything, but I've got forms of support uh, that I've developed. Well, that's great. Um, Sam, thank you so much for everything you do, man. Uh, you know, we live in an era where the word journalist gets tossed around a lot. And there are a lot of people who hold that title who really are not deserving of it. Um, there's a lot of sensationalism now in our media and definitely a lot of propaganda. And you are one of the few people that I actually refer to for real information. And I don't have to cross check it with anything because I, I know you're telling the truth. And it's such a, you're such a rare figure. And in my opinion, you're the, the, the best investigative journalist currently at work in our country. And, part of a very small handful internationally. So, you know, the fact that I got to sit down and talk to you today was amazing. I would love to have you back on to talk about details in the future. And of course, anytime you have anything you want to discuss and yell through my channel, please, by all means, reach out. Um, your book, Willful Blindness, people out there watching, I cannot recommend it enough. I have a I have a basement full of books and and a shelf upstairs which is my on deck shelf which are books that I'm either working my way toward or refer to constantly and willful blindness lives on that shelf. Um, Sam, thank you for everything you do, man. It's it was an honor to talk to you. Thanks so much, and I really appreciate you know your words and the trust that you represent because I'm reporting on some stuff that can be you know it's hard to chase down and get the. Uh, the evidence, but once you get it, I I do believe this is you know the the most important story, the stuff I'm working on, and that trust from people like you is so important. So I thank you that I thanks for that. Thanks, Sam.